0: You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to the third episode of the Movement of Christianity. Moving the Movement. In this episode, we're going to take a look at how movements are characterized What are the elements of a movement? And we'll look at the whole concept of the role of questions when we deal with the movement. And then we'll just whet our appetite a little bit and come back to the power of story, which is where we began this series. In this episode, we're going to look at the movement imprint. What we're looking at here is movement DNA. Movements are uh, characterized by exponential growth that's not just growth by addition. It's not just growth by multiplication, but exponential growth is a different kind of growth. Actually, it's it's a chain reaction like a, an explosion. Exponential growth and actually results in geometric progression. It means that a church is not led by staff who are looked to to grow the church, but the staff equips the people to explode the church, not explode like it's exploded apart, but to growth by explosion as they equip the priesthood of all believers, but as the priesthood of believers also equip and disciple other people. It's interesting that every time there's been a revival, which is another name for the Christian movement that is moving, literally exploding in the positive sense. There have been two teachings of the Bible that have sort of been re-erected, not in theory, but in actual practice. And that actual practice is the key to this. And these two teachings from the scripture for movement, for a movement of Christianity is the priesthood of believers that everyone is a minister. If you're a Christian, you're a minister, and you get your job description by discovering your spiritual gifts. When you know your spiritual gifts, and you learn what the Holy Spirit has given you, then you have your plan for your life, God's plan for your life. And in fact, I've written a book, it talks about this, in fact, it has a a questionnaire or a survey in it that helps you discover your spiritual gifts. But I made the subtitle of this, this book uh, on purpose. It's called Your Spiritual Gifts, Discover God's Plan for Your Life. And it's true. When you know your gifts, you know God's plan for your life. It doesn't matter where you work, where your job is. I mean, that's important. I get that. But When you know your gifts, you know what God wants you to do in whatever context you've been placed, wherever you live, whatever people you interact with, you know your ministry to those people. And so geometric progression starts when people recognize that they are ministers and the church lifts them up as ministers, not members, and then helps people to discover, develop, and use their spiritual gifts. That's when geometric progression kicks in. Now, an example of geometric progression, and you may have heard me on another episode in another time, in another series of a podcast talk about geometric progression. But I this is one of my favorite understandings of, of geometric progression. I just want to share it. So let's take an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. And, uh, you know, just a, a plain piece of paper. Very thin, you know how thin piece of paper is. If you folded that one same piece of paper over and over again and then again and again and let's say you folded it over and over again, 50 times, not 50,000 times, just 50 times, 49, 50, 50 times. And if you put it on the ground, how tall would it be? Now, it'd be pretty tough, honestly, to take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and fold it 50 times because there's just not enough room to do that. But let's just say you could do that uh, or take a bigger piece of paper. And uh, I'll talk about that later. But uh, let's say it's big enough to do that. Just let's not get hung up on the size. How tall would it be? You know, I ask people this in workshops all the time. Some people say, well, it'd probably be... sides eh, hides the refrigerator. Other people would say, no, it'd probably reach the ceiling in the room. Actually, if you took a thin piece of paper, just regular paper, and folded it 50 times, it would reach from here to the sun. And most people are just startled, like I was the first time I heard that. (laughs) I said, are you kidding me? It can't be. That's the power of geometric progression. If you folded that piece of paper one more time, it would reach from here to the sun and back again. It's just amazing. That's the power of geometric progression. Now, if you can get your head around that, you might first want to know what size piece of paper would that be to be able to do that. And it would actually be the size of the United States and most of Mexico to do that to fold it 50 times, which is another mind boggler for me. But anyway, that's exactly right, though. And mathematicians will tell you that. So this is where you multiply and divide and multiply and add and multiply all this over and over again. And it's it's not simple multiplication. It's not 2 times 10. It's One becomes two, becomes four, becomes 16. And that's as far as my math can take us. (laughs) But the truth is, this is the power of multiplication in geometric progression. And it is exactly the way the kingdom of God is supposed to grow. And wherever there's a revival, that's what's happening. And today there are revivals that are happening like that. I've been in some of those revivals in Africa, and Asia, in South America. It's just amazing. You have to see it to believe it. You just have to feel it because there are people coming to Christ and no one knows how or why. But it's because everyone is reaching everyone and those people are reaching everyone and it's just exploding across the landscape. And that, my friend, is the power of a movement, not addition, not simple multiplication, but compound multiplication. It's like compound interest. And the key to that is that everyone is a disciple who becomes a discipler of disciples, who become disciplers, who disciple others, who become disciplers and so on and so forth. And that changes Christianity from your normal church, or maybe your abnormal church, to the church that Jesus designed, a powerhouse of geometric progression. Now, the elements for this movement is changing the atmosphere because change occurs Not in programs. Change, real change, exponential change happens through relationships. Which means that preaching and teaching, as important as it is, will never do it. If we, as church staff, don't disciple people who become disciplers, who disciple disciples who become disciplers, We will never reach the optimum potential that Jesus, the head of the church, has in mind for your church. It is called relational influence. Think about it it's what Jesus did with his disciples. Not just head knowledge, although there was that, but he literally took them with him and showed them how to make disciples. And so he went from fishing for men and women to feed my sheep, disciple these followers, that they might disciple others. Now, people think discipling is some kind of a theological gymnastics that, oh, you've got to go to seminary to learn this. The truth is, I did not learn how to disciple in seminary or Bible college, or graduate school, or undergraduate school, nobody discipled me. People taught me like preachers preach and teach at people, which is a good thing. It's not bad. It's just not enough. It is not the whole movement aspect. So how do you disciple another person? This is not rocket science. It's simply on-the-job equipping. So let's say I'm an usher. When I go to a church and consult the church, I usually attend church incognito. I am a mystery shopper at the church. I don't want anybody to know who I am. I don't want to be introduced. As a consultant, I want to see how people treat me. So one of the things I look at is... The ushers, just about everybody at every church has ushers, okay? And these are people that kind of help people find a seat and all that kind of stuff. It's not, you know, a big deal. But these people serve in a very important role. But what I look for is who is following each usher around to learn how to ush, or whatever you call it. To become an usher? Who are they mentoring on the job? Who are they discipling to be an usher? I ask Sunday school teachers, what is your role as a Sunday school teacher? And they say, well, teach Sunday school. You know, isn't that like, you know, kind of understandable? Yeah, what else? I say, well, you know, prepare the lesson. Yeah, what else? And I go on with the what else thing until they're exhausted with answers. And I've done this with almost 1,600 churches. And every time I have someone who says, you know, I say, what do you do at the church? I say, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I I ask them, what's your job description? What are you supposed to do as a Sunday school teacher? And what I'm looking for is, well, while I teach Sunday school, I'm supposed to be equipping another Sunday school teacher. I want you to know after 1,600 churches and over 78 denominations of churches, I have never had a Sunday school teacher, after I exhaust them with questions, tell me one of my main jobs is, as I teach Sunday school, to look for and equip another Sunday school teacher. So, how does this discipling happen? Well, it's so simple, any sixth grader could figure this out. What did Jesus do? First of all, the invitation. Come follow me. Come follow me while I do my ushering job. Would you just hang out with me? Follow me around. I'd like to show you the ropes. Come follow me when I teach Sunday school. Come follow me when I go to the hospital and minister to someone. Come follow me while I go share my faith with an unchurched person. And multiply that times every single thing that a church does. Come along with me. Basically, I've been discipled to do this. See, it has to start with me. It has to start with staff discipling a few who then understand that they're disciplers. That's the way the movement begins. Come follow me. Come hang out with me. The second step is I do, you watch. I don't want you to do anything. Just follow me around. Then, hey, you followed me around for a while. Go to step three. I do. I'll give you a little part to help. I do you help? The next step is, hey, you've helped me for a long time. How about you do a little bit more, and I'll be there to help you. But you do over 50% of whatever we're doing. Then the fifth step is, you know what? You've done this long enough. You just do the whole thing, and I'm going to watch. I'll be with you every step of the way. Have any challenge, I'll be there for you. Look at me, I'll take over. No problem. The sixth step is that we both pray for, look for, until we find another person to disciple in that ministry. Now, how hard is that? It's called apprenticing. doesn't have to be called discipling. Some people call called apprenticing that aren't Christians but they do it. Doctors do it. How would you like to be under the knife and surgery of a physician who says just before they put you out, I've never done this before. I've never been in an operating room, but don't worry. I got all A's in med school. Well, welcome to my world as a seminary graduate, except I didn't get all A's. The truth is that if you don't disciple pastors, of churches, then they don't know how to disciple people in the church to become disciple of others. And you see where we're stuck from the movement? No wonder there's no movement. It has to begin somewhere. Doctors do it. Airplane pilots do it. You got to be in the second seat for a long time before they let you fly the plane. Plumbers do it. Carpenters do it. All kinds of people do this, have an apprentice. But guess who thought of this idea in the first place? It was Jesus. This is Jesus' key teaching for the growth of the kingdom. And it's just like you can't find people that are doing this. Are you? If I ask you, who are you discipling right now? Who are you on the job training and equipping to do some ministry right now? What would you say? You see, this is exactly what Jesus did with the disciples. It is precisely what the disciples, called apostles, did with others. And that key element of discipleship is relationships. You don't ask strangers if you could disciple them, you go with someone you have a relationship with. The environment for outreach to unchurched people is the platform of relationships it is not an institutional approach like an evangelism committee committees usually sit around a table and talk about whatever evangelism on the job training has to happen in the field like jesus did with the disciples for any church ministry It's a discipling process, not some church program. And the way it begins is movement people know enough to ask questions, not bark orders or push people or try to manipulate people or beg people to get involved. When you go to reach somebody for Jesus and and you want to evangelize them, it's not an outline. It's best if it starts with some questions, like, how's it going these days with you and your wife, Henry? I know we've talked about before, you've shared with me some challenges. How's it going? That's a question. It's not knocking on doors talking to strangers. It's building on the relationship you have with someone who is not a believer. It's asking questions. Guess who did this? Jesus. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Instead of telling the moral of the story, what did he do with his disciples? He asked a question. So who do you think was neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? What do you think? Jesus didn't know the answer to his own story, a movement story? No, he knew. He set it up. But what did he do to teach the disciples, to disciple the disciples? To teach them an enormous lesson about how we should treat people that are hurting as Christians. How we, how we operate. He asked them a question. How about the disciples when Jesus wanted to know if they were ready for him to leave the scene? He asked them a question. The first question was just to get them started and warmed up. He asked, who do people say that I am? And they all gave a number of different answers. And then he asked the real question he had in mind. You see, he didn't start with this question, put them on the spot, make them all, you know, challenged, frightened. Started with a general question. Who do people say I am? Well, we've heard this, we've heard that, you know. And then he asked the real question. Yeah, but how about you? Who do you say I am? And when they answered with that wonderful answer, you are the Christ the son of the living God, Jesus, I'm sure, said to himself, yeah, they're ready. Time for me to head for Jerusalem and the cross. They're ready. You see, questions work better than force-feeding information, like a gospel outline or something like that. Questions are powerful. So, let's say you want those you lead. That would be those you influence, What if you wanted to meet some of the people that you know at your church and you wanted to influence them, other Christians, you know, to become more sensitive to sharing their faith? Not with strangers, not knocking on doors, and interrupting people's dinner, but, but to share the stories of how God has worked in their lives. You know, movement stories. Like, oh, yeah, my wife and I had a challenge once, and, you know, we, that's when we went back to church. Or that's when we started reading the Bible. Or that's when we started praying together. It's a movement story. It's also called a witness. You are witnessing what God has done in your life. If, you don't, if the word witnessing scares you, call them God stories. They're stories of what God's done in your life. Everybody's got them. And if you think about it, and the more you think about it, you've got hundreds of them if you've been a Christian for a while. So you start by asking questions, not with strangers, but those who are far from God in your own social network, your friends, relatives, fellow workers, wherever you work, your neighbors, or people where you go to school, if you go to school. Those are people that are on your phone. They're on your contact list in your phone. You carry your social network in your pocket every day. You look at that list and you decide who is not a Christian. Who shows no evidence of being a Christ follower. They're not in church ever. They don't even go Christmas, Easter. They don't show any signs of being a Christian. What if you put their names on a piece of paper and you prayed for them every single day that God would reach them and you fully understand that if God answers your prayer and he wants to answer your prayer, he might answer it by putting you in an opportunity to share your God stories with them. When they bring up a challenge in their life and you have had that similar challenge and you know that you know that you know that God did something in your life and you grew closer to him, and that made all the difference in your own God story. That's what being a witness is all about, just sharing your story. You were there, it happened to you, you share the story, and you give the credit to God. You see, if you spout Bible passages, a person can argue with you. But they might say, well, you know, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. But if it happened in your life and you experienced it, guess what? (laughs) They can't question that. They're not going to question that because you have a relationship. In your relationship, because of interrogative influence, that asking questions influence, you just ask them, how's it going? How's it going with you and your wife? We talked about that once over lunch at work, Joe. How's it going now? Or somebody shares a tragedy in their life, in their family. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How do you feel about that? Just questions. How's it going? How's life? What do you think it's going to be like for your grandchildren in this country, the way it's going? How do you feel about that shooting that was in the news last night? Another school had a shooting. What do you think about that? That will bring you openings. To share your God stories, just start with a question. Do you have fear for the way your children and grandchildren are going to grow up in the world the way it is? Does it bother you at all? And that will give you an opportunity to share your God stories just by asking those questions. And that's how the movement moves through questions. It's not that hard. Now, when I talk about God stories, that brings up The power of story once again in this movement discussion so hang around for episode 4 because we're going to talk about the power of story that's the way this series began and that's where we're going in episode 4 you have been listening to Kent Hunter's prescriptions from a church doctor presented by church doctor ministries if you've liked this episode please leave a review on Apple podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.